and welcome to this another live edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network here on this Monday, August 27th. The last free week, I think, for just about everybody before they get back to school and things like that. Obviously, you have Labor Day weekend coming up. For those of you listening in the parts of the country and the world where school's already started, I apologize. But I think you get Labor Day off as well, maybe something like September 1st. So uh, I'm not going to be that apologetic. I think everyone is still getting some bit of a, of a break before school and before the holidays and all of that start. Um, again, it's a live edition here on this Monday morning. Some of the big stories, of course, over the weekend that I just want to touch on really, really quickly here on Novak Now. Um, one, of course, uh, first coming on uh, late Friday night, I guess it was, or maybe it was late, it was late Saturday night or Saturday night was the uh, death of Senator John McCain. Um, you know, just a personal story about him. I spent some of my years growing up, as those of you who have been listening to the show regularly know, in the big Navy town of Norfolk, Virginia. And because of that, John McCain was a, a, a name that I knew from a very, very young age. I lived in a neighborhood in Norfolk that was new. They were building really nice new townhouses. We, we moved into one that was really nice and new, brand new uh, at the time. And it felt like every one of our neighbors was either a just retired naval captain or a naval captain about to retire. Um, so uh, that was uh, that was my uh, upbringing, and I certainly was aware of him for a long time, and his his service in the Navy that was kind of legendary. Uh, politically, you know, once you become a politician, you're not going to be you're not going to be loved by everybody, and and for a lot of the time, you're going to be disliked by most people, and that's just kind of what happens. I think that people um, have a hard time in this country sometimes separating political beliefs from the actual person. I think it's it's happening quite a bit right now. For and uh, so I think that you know there's a lot of people who are coming out now saying great things about John McCain who were saying horrible things about him politically not that long ago and vice versa. Take that for what it is, um, but a very very interesting life and a life where I think the guy really meant to do some very good for this country and very often did. So that's one thing. And the other um, passing that I want to note is uh, Neil Simon. Obviously, just you know, a staple of American entertainment. I mean, a lot of people will come around today. It's funny, you take a look at the obituaries today, and almost none of them are really focusing on his Jewish background. And I don't think in this instance, sometimes it is for other people, but I don't think in this instance that is in any way a slight or, or, or you know, an intentional, let's just downplay his Jewishness kind of thing. Because frankly, the guy is just really argue, arguably the most proficient and, and successful American playwright and screenwriter certainly the combination of the two, in American history. I mean, the guy had four or five plays running on Broadway at the same time, I think more than once in his career. He had a lot of successful movies that he adapted from Broadway and movies that he just wrote from, from scratch. So honestly, you know, I, I don't take it to that sense. You know, uh, but from a Jewish point of view, obviously, culturally, this was the highest level of cultural Judaism in entertainment that I think you can see. Again, cultural Judaism. I mean, I, I just can't think of any one of his plays or movies where there was a real, real direct Jewish content as far as, you know, now we're talking about that something, something in, the, in the synagogue or now we're talking about something in the Talmud or that kind of, it was all, it was about cultural stuff, Ashkenazic, American, Jewish mores, uh, stereotypes, the whole thing. They're often done uh, laughingly. I don't think done as maliciously or as, you know, sarcastically as some people do it today, although there were times when he did that too. Um, clearly not the most fulfilled man in his life. He was married five times. That speaks for itself. Um, he, he, he was not certainly 
totally at peace all the time for whatever reason. Um, these things are, are, are to be noted by those who think that success equals happiness. Uh, I don't think he was totally unhappy either, but that's just uh, a couple of things that happened that I wanted to take note of, uh, certainly in respect for his career and, and some of the things he did and some of the laughs that he provided. Uh, in honor of his memory last night, I showed my daughters The Sunshine Boys, which if you have not seen that movie, with Walter Matthau and George Burns, you are really missing out. It is one of the funniest movies ever. It was made in 1975. It is complete. It, it ages extremely well. There's really nothing in it that couldn't be done today, pretty much for the most part. It is a very, very strong, funny comedy and an understanding of the way kind of older Jewish men are. Um, as a son of a rabbi growing up, my interactions with elderly Jews uh, outpaced my interactions with kids my own age for a long period of my life. Some of you out there listening know what I'm talking about, especially for those of you who didn't grow up in the New York area. If you lived in shul life, you know, that's the way it was. And even after I moved to New York around junior high school age uh, and I was living in Far Rockaway, whereas I had a lot finally after living in these not so Jewish areas, I finally had a bunch of Jewish kids my age to be friends with from school. You, pr pretty much at shul, it was an old elderly shul the most part and there weren't a lot of kids there and so i continued my friendship with elderly folks <laughs> and some of the mannerisms and the way they act and stuff like that very well captured in the sunshine boys so uh i just i you know the man was 91 he lived a full life successful life i think a, a great way to honor his memories to see some of his stuff if you haven't seen it and and so i highly recommend that um sadly i want to get to here on the nothing siegel network novak now i want to get to today's topic which I say sadly because it is a very, very serious situation, even though many of us might think we've heard. And of course, that is a situation going on right now in the Catholic Church. Now, sexual abuse scandals and abuse scandals within the Catholic Church have gone on for as long as I can remember. I've heard a lot of the news stories in the last couple of weeks about this as it has reemerged. as people saying, well, this has been going on for 20 years. And I'm only 47 years old. I remember this stuff from my early teens. So we're talking about at least 30 years that this has been very prominent. And of course, the actual abuse has been going on for probably hundreds of years. And I don't want to say, and, and by the way, one of the things that I want to say more than once throughout the rest of the program is I am not here to single out the Catholic Church for any propensity or likelihood to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, sexual abuse and abuse of people happens when people bad people or people doing bad things have the opportunity to do so, whether or not a church or religion or anything else is involved. For example, the United Nations, which is a non-sectarian, non-religious organization, is notorious, notorious for the sexual abuse of children, particularly through the UNICEF program, which understandably attracts people who are interested in that kind of thing, because what are refugee children from all over the world going to do about it? So that, that is a scandal that has been known for a long time, has not had the kind of publicity that the church scandals have had for many reasons. But so I want to make this very, very clear. And the other thing I'm going to, again, repeat probably more than once throughout this next half hour is that I am not here, not as a Jew and not as someone on a Jewish radio network to criticize another religion's theology. Because I would never do that anyway, not even in private. It doesn't make sense. To go around to somebody else from another religion and say, your beliefs are stupid, or I don't agree with your beliefs, or why don't you change your beliefs? We don't do that. And by, when I say we, I mean decent people, I'm not just talking about Jews. Jew, decent people don't do that, not because it's not polite, but because there's no point in it. We all have, if you are a religious person, or even a non-religious person, because I, believe, I, I think atheism is a great belief also. I mean, think how much faith you have to have in coincidences to be a real atheist. Think about that just for a second. Atheism is a religion too. But if to be a person who believes in anything, it's very, very hypocritical to go around and, and criticize somebody else's beliefs. It just is. You can criticize somebody else's actions, and we're going to be doing that. 
actions is another story, but beliefs is, is different. So I don't want to go around bashing someone else's theology. And we're not going to be doing that. I would never do that anyway. And again, not even privately, because I just think that's quite, I think that's quite embarrassing. So uh, quite embarrassing and quite inappropriate. But let's get back to the situation with the Catholic Church, why this is back in the news. And we've had two, we've had three major dominoes fall in the last three, four weeks that are very, very important. And I want to talk about why this is so important for the Jewish community to pay attention to. This is not just a Catholic issue. This is not just an American issue. This is not just a Christian issue. This is a very big issue for the Jews to pay attention to. And so that's why I'm talking about this today. But let's talk about the dominoes that had fall. Well, we have the, we had the cardinal, you know, the official title, Archbishop Cardinal McCarrick in D.C. stepped down because it turned out he knew about a lot of abuse within the church. And he himself was accused by, I, I believe, someone who was somewhat credible of abusing him. So he stepped down. That was about a month and a half, maybe two months ago. Then two weeks ago, you had a blockbuster, horrific report from the Pennsylvania State Attorney General, who happens to be a Jewish man, and I don't think that that's an issue here, and I hope that no one brings that up. The man's the Attorney General, and, the, and this investigation had been going on for years before he took the office. But about two weeks ago, a groundbreaking, comprehensive, extremely long report about 70-plus years of abuse in the Catholic Church in the state of Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, uh, you name it, Wilkes-Barre, all those areas, Scranton, heavily represented in this case. And that brought this discussion even more to the forefront. And then yesterday, maybe Saturday night, but I believe it was yesterday, I think the most serious, serious incident occurred where you had the former archbishop who was the ambassador from the Vatican to the United States. We're talking about a very, very high-ranking position. That position, when you are the Vatican's ambassador to the United States, that's about as, you know, you're you kind of being groomed to be at least a cardinal and certainly maybe even being pope one day. Well, the man who was the immediate former ambassador to the United States from the Vatican accused Pope Francis himself of knowing about Cardinal McCarrick, this, the cardinal in D.C. that I was talking about who stepped down, knowing about his abuse situation, knowing about covering it up, and ever since 2013, not saying a word about it. So pretty much ever since he became pope. He became pope, I believe, in late 2013. So... My goodness, folks, we have this now, this scandal, for the first time, really, really going all the way up directly in a particular instance to the Pope. Now, there have been Popes in the past who have either dealt or not dealt with the, the accusations of a, against a large number of priests or cardinals or churches in the past, but not a situation where we have an individual Pope who is being accused of staying quiet for five years about one of his top cardinals in the College of Cardinals. This is a big, big deal. This is a huge deal. And, of course, the biggest reason why it's a big deal is because— this accusation is not coming from some abused person. It's not coming from some non-Catholic. It's not coming from some malcontent. It is coming from an archbishop who had one of the highest positions in the Vatican just very recently. So this is very, very serious. And I want to talk about what structurally, again, theologically, I don't want to discuss because it's just not proper. I want to talk about the structural issues here that are putting the Catholic Church in the position that it's in, not just in my opinion, but I think quite logically on an objective point of view. Why they're in this position, and again, what the Jewish community must learn from this. So the first thing we must learn from it before I get to that structural stuff, the, the Jewish community cannot, cannot be smug about this. Now, I don't want to play the numbers game. I don't know how many Jewish rab rabbis are likely to have committed some kind of abuse versus the number of priests. Who, it, that doesn't matter. We know that we have plenty of rabbis that have done this. We know that there's been covering up. We know that there have been all kinds of problems like this. Is it as widespread as the church? 
Does it happen as often as it might happen in another religion? It, again, I, I don't know. I don't know why that matters. I mean, certainly, as we get close to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we're not, you know, we don't say in the al you know, for the sin that I committed less than the other people, but I did it anyway. We don't do that, okay? It's a sin is a sin, all right? Again, not to get into our theology too much either. But here is something that I want everyone to understand here. Again, as I speak to you here on the Nachum Siegel Show, Nachum Siegel Network, this is the Novak Now program. If you want to understand what's going on in the Catholic Church, and this is not an excuse, but this is a question, this is an explanation of how you can really get a handle on this. Nothing that is going on now with the abuse scandals in the Catholic Church can be understood properly unless you understand this context. And here is this context. The Catholic Church is running dangerously low on priests. And they have been for decades and decades and decades. They don't have enough priests. They don't have enough priests to really administer to the flock. Now, again, here in New York City, if you walk by St. Patrick's Cathedral, you'd never know that. It looks like they're full up. looks like it's great. I'm talking about outside of the major cities, outside of the fancy parts of the major cities, just like everything else in this country. Things get different the further away you get from the urban hubs. But even in some second-tier cities, even in some other what I would consider major cities, there are issues with shortages of priests. And so the bottom line is, folks, and here is a very rough bottom line that we have to remember throughout the rest of this program and for the rest of, of, of our lives as we, as we approach the situation in the church. The question is, can the church properly purge and punish the priests who have committed these acts, no matter how horrific? Can they do that and still survive? Because they're already low on priests. And when I say low, I mean dangerously low to the point where they have some nuns leading mass, to the point where they have some parishioners doing it. They're in trouble to the point where a lot of Latinos who come into this country, obviously born into many generations of the Catholic Church, they come into this country and move to certain rural areas where the church is understaffed and they are being co-opted by evangelical Protestant Christians. This is a big threat to the Catholic Church, by the way. One of the reasons why the Catholic Church has been so overwhelmingly in favor of open borders and so overwhelmingly in favor of sanctuary cities and sanctuary in their churches is they're afraid. They're afraid of losing, of losing their flock. Because they are losing their flock. They're losing their flock to evangelical pastors who are coming to places like North Carolina and South Carolina, where they're already there, coming to the, where the Latinos are, are moving to, a lot of them illegal, some of them not, and really, and really administering to them and, and, and gaining, their, gaining their faith and gaining their allegiance. So the, the church is just in, in all kinds of trouble. And I'm sorry, I, I'd like to believe that there are other reasons for this. I'd like to believe that there's a certain naivete going on, but it's been going on for too long, and I just keep coming back to this again. And by the way, and yes, it's convenient because I don't want to argue about the theological and the belief structure and what priests have, what can and cannot do as being the primary reason for all of this. Because everyone in every religion, whether they allow your clergy to marry or allow your clergy to, to, to do whatever they can do, still has abuse scandals. There are abuse scandals in Protestant churches where, where ministers and, 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 and the pastors are married. We have abuse, abuse scandals in, our, in, in, in Judaism. So it's, it's not that. It can't just be that, okay? What we're dealing with here is a lack of punishment and a circling of the wagons, mostly, and there's other reasons that I'll get into, mostly because of this problem. The Catholic Church is already bleeding priests. It's not popular to go into what they call the vocations in Catholicism. It's just not, it's, it, it's not popular. It's not as popular as it once was for all kinds of reasons. All kinds of reasons. And so this is the problem. Can you really get rid of people you can't afford to lose? 
tough situation, right? Very tough situation. And I offer no forgiveness or anybody to slide based on this. I'm just trying to tell you this because this is what you need to understand this manpower shortage if you want to understand why the church is acting the way it's acting. Now, the other reasons why the church is acting, why it's acting, have nothing to do specifically to the church. These are things that happen in organizations. Many of you who've listened to me over the years or read me online, and again, please follow me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY for a steady stream of news about these kinds of things and other stuff. Many of you who've listened to me over the years know I have a mantra, which is every organization, any and every organization, no matter how good the cause that that organization has at its outset, eventually becomes more about protecting and enriching the organization or empowering the organization and less about its cause. This is just the way, this is just human nature. And there are Jewish organizations that unfortunately embody this. You know, for example, why did the major Jewish charities and Jewish philanthropy organizations in the United States fall down on the job to some extent during the Holocaust? Why were they so involved in silly things like, I mean, one of the major Jewish organizations, and I won't name them, but one of them, was working harder to resettle Jews to Stalinist collectivist farms than to save Jews from Germany and Poland and other places during the, the Holocaust. I mean, it's outrageous stupidity. Why? Because those organizations were slavish to the power they thought that they could get through being uh, allied with Stalin, and so they did that. And some other Jewish organizations were much more interested in the fact that they felt like they were rubbing elbows with President Roosevelt, and so they looked the other way that he wasn't helping. And, and, and rejecting refugee boats and things like that. They look the other way because they wanted President Roosevelt to be their buddy. And that's what organizations do. Eventually, they fall into that, that hole every time, which is why some of the most successful movements in history have been done you know, on a grassroots level. My own personal experience, the Student Struggle for Soviet Jewry, which was a very small organization, it really was just a grassroots organization started by like Yeshiva, Flatbush, Ramaz High School, and Hunter College, I think, or City College students in the late 60s. And it remained mostly a grassroots movement, and it was successful. because And luckily, it didn't last long enough to become an ingrained, institutionalized institution, where everyone was worried about was, was my salary and who's going to be the guest speaker and are we going to get the Secretary of State to be at our next convention, and, 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 and Chazarai like that. And it is Chazarai, because it gets you away from your initial goal. And so the Catholic Church is suffering from this, as many Jewish organizations do when they have similar scandals. It becomes very, very clear that their number one goal, their number one goal is the preservation of the organization. So irrespective, you know, even if you put aside the fact that the Catholic Church has this huge priest shortage, this massive problem within the church where they can't really get rid of the people they want to get rid of without losing a tremendous amount of, of influence and, and, and ability to minister to their flock, but it's also just the usual circle of wagons nonsense. You know, if the Catholic Church admits or, or takes liability in all these abuse cases, they're going to be out billions of dollars. They already out, are out billions of dollars in this country. I mean, the, the settlements that we've seen over the last 25 to 30 years in the church in just certain American dioceses has been ast astronomical. Ask parents who send their kids to Catholic schools. A lot of them have seen the Catholic schools close or lose, or lose facilities or lose uh, uh, some space. And that's sad. And that's very sad. So again, if you might have noticed here on Novak Now, on the Nachum Siegel Network, here's where I'm going to draw this connection to the Jewish community and why the Jewish community needs to pay attention to this. Because whereas we don't have a rabbi shortage <laughs> in the Jewish community, uh, it's possible that in some movements, maybe in some, some of the reform and conservative movement, they have a, a bit of a shortage. I, I don't think so. It's not as pronounced as it is in the Catholic Church, but certainly not in the Orthodox 
world is there a shortage of rabbis. We don't, that's the opposite of what we have. We've got a lot of rabbis. Okay. Most rabbis I know don't work as rabbis because we have so many rabbis. Okay. But we do have institutions that try to protect themselves. We do have schools and, and organizations that rally around an accused person and don't bother to listen to the accused and demonize the accused. We've done it many times. And again, if you want to play the numbers game, if you really think it's important that we do it less often than maybe the Catholic Church does, I got to tell you, I, I think your priorities are in the wrong place. That's really not the area to have this argument. Well, I only, you know, I only killed three people and they killed seven. I mean, really, you really want, is that really your argument that you're going to make publicly and privately? It can't be. It can't be. So we have this problem, too. And understand that if the Catholic Church really now, for the first time, really starts to feel the kind of pain that it's been somewhat avoiding over the last 30 years, to the point where we have a pope who might have to step down. You know, the previous pope, Pope Benedict, stepped down basically, basically because of his age, although he's still alive eight years later, I guess it was, or I guess it's five years, six years later or so, right? About five years since he stepped down. But this pope, if this comes to fruition, and there are more people at the level of this archbishop who accused Pope Francis of deliberately covering something up, he might have to step down. Think about that. A pope to step down in disgrace? We've never seen anything like that before in any of our lifetimes, nobody on this planet. Never seen anything like that before. And understand something else. Pope Francis is not liked in the conservative Catholic corners of the world anyway. He has been confusing and all over the place as far, again, not criticizing his theology, just trying to point some points of fact. He's been all over the place on Catholic theology for a lot of Catholics. They're not really sure where he's coming from on a lot of things. They've heard him speak a lot about global warming. They've heard him speak a lot about open borders. They haven't heard him speak a lot and definitively about some theological issues that they want to hear. And remember also that the Catholic Church, one of the areas where it is growing is in Africa, where the African cardinals are extremely conservative, especially when it comes to the relationship with Islam, because to be a Christian in Africa, anywhere in Africa, is dangerous. So they're, they're pretty serious about the threat of Islam, and I think much more honest about it. And there are a lot of people within the Catholic Church who really want to see an African cardinal become the next pope. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. But again, the Jewish community must look at this very, very carefully. Because if we get to a point where a pope has to step down or something close to that, or a $100 billion settlement that shuts down Catholic schools and universities even across the country because they cannot be funded, or because donors suddenly close their wallets. And by the way, that is happening. A lot of people who are going to the church just for, from everything to giving money to the collection plate on Sunday to writing a check to their school or to their parish are closing the checkbook. They're closing their wallets. And it's understood. It's understandable. It's very, very understandable. So this could be something that could happen to the Jewish community. Yes, it could. Imagine if the modern Orthodox community, the acculturated Orthodox community that really is responsible for much of the funding, not only of the modern Orthodox community, but of the black hat community. You know, a lot of us donate money to Asia Torah or to Lubavitch or stuff like that, whatever you want to call it. What if one of those organizations is found to have committed these kinds of acts, committed this kind of circ wagon circling? It wouldn't surprise me. I'm sorry. It just wouldn't. What would happen then? We would, ha would we have shoals that, wouldn't, that would have to close? Would schools have to close? Would other major problems hit the Jewish community? You know, we get gifts. When you follow the news enough and you, and you pay enough attention to what's going on in the world enough, 
you get a gift here and there. For example, when it comes to our finances and our politics, I think what's gone on in Europe in the last 10, 15 years has been a huge gift to the American people. Whether we act on it or not, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But the mistakes that have been made in Europe, especially with their open borders, I, I hope we learn from this. I hope we learn from it. The mistakes the Catholic Church has been making with covering up, with worrying more about getting enough priests to, to, to fill a parish and not worrying about the quality of the person who is that priest pretty much at all, we can't play that game. And again, I think that there's been some aspect of that in the Jewish community as well, even though we have no rabbi shortage. I mean, for those of us who went to Jewish day schools, we all know we had one or two teachers who were not up to snuff. We just did. I'm sorry. And if those schools are successful, it's because the students were an extremely high caliber. You know, we have a culture of learning and a culture of education and striving for better in the Jewish community that just makes us good students for the most part. <laughs> it just does. And a lot of Jewish day schools have reaped the benefits of that through no benefit, you know, th th really not to the credit of their teachers as much as the fact that they have a nice student body. But we better learn from this in the Jewish community. We better learn from this fast. We better not circle the wagons anymore. And the organizations that have done it, you know who I'm talking about. You know who you are. And the organizations that play dumb about this had better stop. Because not only would this be a danger to us because there's abuse stuff, a situation going like this in the Jewish community as well. But let me tell you something. If this country starts getting into the habit and into the culture of shutting down churches, you don't think they're going to shut down synagogues? You don't think they're going to take away the tax breaks that synagogues and schools need and, and religious schools need? You're living in another world if you don't think that. And if, there's a, if those secular forces, because through their own fault of the Catholic Church, get that victory, they won't stop there. But I am going to stop here. <laughs> This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I've enjoyed speaking to you this week. Let's all hope that things come out the best, and certainly for the victims, may they have some comfort and some justice. I'll speak to you again next week.